welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up. It's working. Time for a retro perspective. Welcome to Retro Perspective, the show on the Nerd Party in which we take a look at all of the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I remain yours, John. <laughs> and this week we're going to take a look at the movies released on September 9th, 1994. September 9th, 1994. What a, a magnificent week this was for movies, wasn't it, Mike? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Um, there were five movies released this week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll get started with uh, a couple which did not uh, make enough money to even end up on the box office charts. Uh, the first one being Rapa Nui. Yes. Which had a 62% on... Well, no, I'm sorry. It didn't have any reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It wow. has 62% positive audience score oh that's so, not bad that's yeah. you know that's Pe- passing people. grade i guess uh, I, I mean it, that sounds good but like if you look at like the audience score thing like the way that it's that's pretty pretty bad for anyway um for rotten tomatoes but yeah. yes did you watch this movie i didn't i wanted to because it's directed by kevin reynolds who mm. was uh hired and fired by kevin costner two or three hundred times Yes, this everything. is the movie that he made in between Waterworld and something else. Uh, between Ro- Robin Hood and yes, and Waterworld. Yeah, right after Robin Hood, before Waterworld. Yes. So after the first time he was fired by Kevin Costner. Hey, speaking of Waterworld, I, oh no! <laughs> I read a story today online which. Uh, was was they talked about how this was like an urban legend, and then they linked to the Snopes uh, thing, where, which confirmed that it's not true. But I was like, oh man, I I, I wanted at least a minute there where I thought it was true. Um, What's that? Okay, so you know Cal Ripken Jr. You know the. Baseball player. Legendary baseball player, yes. Yeah. Broke uh, Lou Gehrig's uh, continuous streak record, and the striking players even let him cross the picket line so they could keep his streak alive. Yes. I, I didn't know that part about the striking players. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, they let, him, they let him cross the line so that his uh, streak could stay alive. Well, that's interesting. Um, but apparently there were some shenanigans which were going on which allowed him to continue that streak, which... Uh, uh, it maybe shouldn't have occurred. Oh, no. Yeah. This is the part where n- nothing is true. But ah, okay. I wish, I wish it was true just because it's so weird. So okay. a- apparently Cal Ripken Jr. went to the premiere of Dances with Wolves. Okay. And while he was there, he met Kevin Costner. Because Kevin Costner is, uh, as we know, a huge baseball fan. Yes. And in Dances with Wolves. And the two of them apparently became friends. And as the story goes, uh, 
Kevin Costner was staying at Cal Ripken Jr.'s house in 1997 when an Orioles game was postponed because the lights went out. They had a power outage at the theater, at the at the stadium, and the lights went out, uh-huh. and they had to cancel the game, right? Uh-huh. And the reason, the fake reason, why this happened is because uh, Cal Ripken, uh, well, he he was Kevin Costner was staying at Cal Ripken's house. Cal Ripken left for the game, and then he forgot something, and went back to the house. And when he went back to the house, he found Kevin Costner in bed with his wife, Cal Ripken's wife. <laughs> and and Cal Ripken uh, was so upset by this that he beat the crap out of Kevin Costner. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. And... Uh, whether this is where the story varies, whether he was emotionally distraught or injured from beating up Kevin Costner, one or the other, he couldn't play. And he called the, the, the owners and said, I can't come in tonight. Sorry, the streak is over. And the owners were like, uh, hang on a second. And they called some employees and said, do something to fake a power outage. Right, something like that, mm-hmm. and then they faked the power outage so that the game was canceled, and Kevin Costner, well, I'm sorry, Cal Ripken could play the next day. The only way that story gets better is you is if you find out that they said uh, they they had a story about um, with, with Dutch workers and their wooden shoes called sabo that they yeah. threw in, hence the term <laughs> sabotage. Yes, yes. Apparently, what what actually happened is. Uh, Nothing. I, I guess apparently Cal Ripken <laughs> Jr. and Kevin Costner lived next door to each other or something like that. I don't know. But they were friends, whatever. They were friends. And uh, what actually happened was there was some sort of legit power outage and they couldn't get it to work. And they eventually got it like sort of partially working. But uh, the, the, there were some shadows and Randy Johnson, who's, you know, like the guy pitches you know like 100 miles an hour he was going to be the pitcher that night and they were worried that batters would have trouble seeing his pitches and that it would be dangerous um apparently the orioles were upset about that decision because that meant playing a doubleheader the next day and having to face randy johnson during the day and apparently it was a lot harder to see the ball during day games against Randy Johnson than at night. So the Orioles actually wanted to play with the lights off. But apparently Cal Ripken was there. Cal Ripken was even on the field consulting with the umpires about whether or not it was safe and actually was there to like test when they were seeing like whether or not people could see. It's very clear that Cal Ripken was in the building. Apparently he's on camera and everything. And apparently there was some like radio station, which a few years later was telling this story. And Kevin Costner was so upset by this that he called them up the next day and threatened like legal action if they didn't like retract their story and everything like that. And, and Kevin Costner's only met Cal Ripken's wife like twice and uh yeah um 
Was the radio station in question 98 Rock in Baltimore? No, no, no. It was it was a Fox News station or Fox Sports station. Anyway, hmm. the reason why okay. I, I bring this up, okay, is because yeah. the reason why Kevin Costner was staying at Cal Ripken Jr.'s house is because he was shooting Waterworld? Dude, that doesn't make any sense. They shot Waterworld off of, like, Hawaii or something like that. I, I know. It doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Unless they like, I, I like the end of that movie. They get to land. Did they shoot part of it like in the Chesapeake Bay or something? I don't. But that know. doesn't make any sense because then everybody would turn into mutants. <laughs> Maybe um, it was the Postman. No, I'm pretty sure it was Waterworld. I, it doesn't even matter because it's. <laughs> it doesn't. It really it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't matter, and I, I still am. I'm interested to see Rapa Nui just because. <laughs> Hopefully, Kevin Reynolds. Talking yeah, about. that's that's where we started with. But like, I don't know. Like Kevin Reynolds seemed like a decent enough director. I would have loved to see a project that he was able to finish. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I, I didn't see Rapa Nui. I haven't seen Postman. I haven't seen Waterworld, and I haven't seen uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, uh, hmm. Yeah, Postman, you, you don't need to. But doesn't, uh, isn't Tom Petty in it as himself? Yes, very briefly. Um, well, and it's, it seems it's, like a good enough reason to watch it. Well, it's a, it's a charming moment hmm. um, because, uh, quote unquote, the Postman says, hey, didn't you used to be? And he goes, yeah, I used to. He goes, but I'm not anymore sort of thing. It's a hmm. cute little self-effacing moment with Tom Petty. And that's uh, I've just saved you uh, time. Okay. By telling you what that scene is, right. uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is Nickelard is in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Mm. You can plainly see him. And so you know. The only thing I stunts. remember about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, is that uh, when they were making the action figures, <laughs> the Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves playset is <laughs> just a recycled uh, Ewok village. Yeah, I have very actually fond memories of seeing Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, because there was this uh, girl, um, in, and it was in high school, and we wound up seeing the movie together. And of course, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is like super romantic and everything. And of course, your your humble friend didn't pick up on any signals at all, like yeah. at all. <laughs> and that that night, I also said to her, "Oh yeah, no, no, no. heir to the empire. You got to read this book." Oh, so. Uh, I'm sure that went over well. Um, we remained friends. She was a, a lovely person. It, she never like held it against me or anything, but uh, it was one of those things where, like a year later, you know, you're sitting there. It's like, oh, yeah, air of the... Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, well. What yeah. can you do? No, nothing at this point. What can you do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, see, uh, now I want to watch all these movies, you know, I mean, it was just, I, and, and yeah, I just, I just read that story this morning at breakfast. It just came up. It was like, what? And now here it is. Well, the interesting thing about Waterworld is it is definitely a movie that I would not say is good necessarily, but it's not bad. Like it's right in that gray zone mm -hmm. and it's reputation yeah. far exceeds like it didn't deserve half of the hate like if people didn't know all the behind the scenes problems with it yeah they would have come out saying yeah it's all right it was pretty good yeah but instead it was you know the object of ridicule for many years yes yes yeah um okay so the next next movie 
which also did not make enough money to chart, is uh, What Happened Was. Yes. Which has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was directed by Tim Tom Noonan. Yes. Who's in it along with... Uh, uh, who, what's the woman's name? I forget. I, I forget, uh, too. Uh, Karen something, Karen I think. Karen... S- Silas or something like that? Sil- Silas? Yeah. Karen Silas. Silas. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch this? I did, actually, because when I saw, uh, after being burned repeatedly uh, in our little experiment here, I said, wow, 90%. Well, sure. Um, and I decided to rent it. And uh, I'm also a huge fan of Tom Noonan's. I think he's a terrific actor. Um, and I saw he like wrote and directed it, so I was super intrigued Andy's in it so I was like okay I'm all on board and I did watch it yeah I watched it too um I was intrigued by the trailer and and it seemed like the best option for the week but then I also remember seeing the poster like the poster was hanging up in my local video store Windy City Video for a very long time and every time I saw it I was intrigued by the poster because it's Got yeah. a couple of legs just sticking up there, and it's like, oh, hmm, interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm like, it's finally time that I see what that movie is all about. Yeah. And uh, I saw. <laughs> so I what did, did too. What, what did you think about what happened was? Well, the thing is, there are two posters. I know the poster you're talking about, uh-huh. wildly misleading. Yes. Um, and then there's one that has, it's sort of like a, Picasso sort of drawing yeah, of the yeah. two of them at the dinner table. Much more right, uh, representative. Much more in keeping with the movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, a, a woman has a coworker over for dinner and they have a conversation and it's about an hour and a half long. Yeah. It's like a first, yeah. a first date movie. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so what'd you think about the movie? It was Okay. Yeah, it was it was very static. It was sort of like one of those things of uh, I mean, I guess this was sort of uh, a thing in the 90s or maybe I'm lying to myself that it was. But it seemed that there was this sort of back to basics approach with it mm-hmm. of much more like a stage play on film, except the moments where it came alive. And I, I don't I don't know if you agree with me or not. There were moments where it came alive where suddenly uh he seemed to figure out, oh, wait, I can do close-ups. Yeah. And I don't have to focus on the person talking. I can show the reaction of the person listening. Like when she's reading her short story, that was a compelling section because he's getting sweaty and he's fidgety and you don't know why. And so that was interesting. But then it settles back down and it's a little bit boring. And then there's an interesting moment. And then it sort of like ebbs and flows. I mean, I don't know. I think I knew exactly why he was getting fidgety there. Um, I think it's because that short story was insane. <laughs> but um, yeah, I yeah. you know it, it was a play apparently he, that he wrote. Ah, so, okay. Yeah, and and then he he wrote and directed the movie too. Um, I don't know. It, it's really interesting. Like I, I mean, I was I, I was into it to start, you know, and and basically up until the short story bit. And then it took this turn and became something else. And at that point, I was just kind of like, this is a little too, 
bizarre and not really what I signed up for. You know, it's like taking this turn into almost the surreal. And I kind of mm-hmm. liked back when it was just a character piece about two people on a first date, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. I just saw, I saw the structure and performances much more, again, like stage play. It, it wasn't, the acting style wasn't even really appropriate for screen. Mm-hmm. It was, it was very much, I could tell that this was, would have been something I would have seen like off Broadway or something. And I would have said, oh, that, you know, that was, that was a good play. That was an interesting conversation. What did you think about this? But they're just, it just seemed a little thin for the screen. Yeah, I mean, I know that the, the critics really did love it. There, there's, on, on that poster, uh, there there was a quote from Gene Siskel talking about yeah. how it was one of the best movies of the year and, and everything. Um, I just don't, I, I'm not feeling it. Same. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, the next movie that came out on September 9th, which uh, ended up at number 12 at the box office with $1.5 million, and a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes, A Good Man in Africa, starring Sean Connery. Uh, it's from the director of Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, did you watch this? No, because I saw a movie with uh, Sean Connery in Africa that came out after this called The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and uh, burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. Okay. Yeah, I, this movie looked really bad. I don't know, but um, wasn't at all intrigued by this. <laughs> and I've yeah. seen League of Extraordinary Gentlemen too, but I don't know. Like I read an interview where where he was talking about doing that movie, and he's like, uh, "They offered me the Matrix, and I didn't understand it, so I turned it down. And then they offered me Lord of the Rings, and I didn't understand it, so I turned it down." They offered me this movie. I didn't understand it, but there was no chance in hell that I was going to turn it down. So, there you go. Wow. That is a story of some interesting choices. <laughs> yep. And that was the last movie he ever made. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay. Next up, number. Well, this is weird. It didn't it, for some reason it didn't end up on the in the box office this week at, at all. But like next week, it was number ten with one point nine million dollars and a seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. The next Karate Kid, mm-hmm. starring Hilary Swank as yes in the titular role. So, yeah. did you see this? No. I didn't see it back in the day either. I was kind of done with the Karate Kid series after three, and I didn't care. They were, oh, hey, reboot. Uh, pass. Yeah, three's the only one I've ever seen. Um, what? I'm, yeah, I know. It's weird. Um, huh. <laughs> I, I probably, you know, if I had seen the others, if I was really into it, I probably would have gone with this one. But, you know, having to watch all of those just to get to one that I didn't really care about at this stage in the game didn't seem to make any sense. So. I, I decided to pass on this one too, but it was ahead of its time. Female lead, yeah, right. And so she's sort of the ray of her day, and yeah, not to mention Hilary Swank, you know, in one of her yeah. very first performances. So Fu- future Oscar winner, yeah, two time. Is it two time or three time? Two time, I guess, right? 
pretty sure two time. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And the big winner for September nineteenth, uh, with uh, three point eight million dollars coming in at number four at the box office, and an eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Trial by jury. Have you seen this? No. No, again, I'll steer you back toward talking about what happened was. It was the one that had not just positive, but double-digit positive. I was like, okay. That, that, that was my pick because I wasn't going to do this to myself again. Yeah. I, you know, I was debating trial by jury because, you know, it had Gabriel Byrne in it and it looked like one of those mm-hmm. courtroom dramas. It looked like there might be a little bit of the the erotic thriller thrown in there. Uh, and, you know, I like like you're trying to watch all the Westerns, right? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I, I think I'm sort of unintentionally <laughs> trying to watch all of the erotic thrillers this year just because <laughs> it's, it's a great genre and they don't really make them anymore. But That's true. I, I decided to go with what happened was because it seemed like the, the stronger choice. Uh, the same thing, you know, 90% versus 8%, you know. I, I can only imagine with our tepid reaction to the one that had 90% <laughs> exactly how negative my reaction would have been to these other ones. Yeah, I mean... We talked about this a bit last week, but this really is historically like the time when movies go to die. You know, (laughs) summer has ended. It's the start of the fall. Like we haven't quite gotten into like the prestige movies yet. It's more, you know, there's it's like January and September, you know, where it's just like they throw out the trash right yeah well i mean people are still adjusting back to school schedules Mm -hmm. and you know fall obligations and figuring out their sports teams everything's in flux in september yeah so not not much uh not much luck at the box office this week which is also probably why i mean you look at these movies five of them like the top three are the only three that charted and they were four ten and twelve right yeah I mean, Mm -hmm. people are still going to see, like, the big blockbusters that they missed. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, if they're going to see those at all. So, so yeah, a bad week for movies. Yes. But next week, I mean, we've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six movies. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got one on September 10th, Leon the Pig Farmer. Not to be confused Mm -hmm. with Leon the Professional. No, very different movies. Yeah. yeah. And then on the 16th, we have The New Age, Nostradamus, mm. Blue Sky, mm-hmm. Princess Caribou, yeah, and Time Cop. Yeah, based on the Dark Horse comic. <laughs> and written by Mark Verheiden. Yeah, who also wrote the comic, so he adapted his oh. own work. Oh, cool. I didn't, I didn't realize that he wrote the comic. Yeah. And Verheiden did the... Uh, the, didn't he do the screen story for The Mask as well? He did, and he also uh, wrote the best single episode in television history, Battlestar Galactica Crossroads Part 2. And he uh, also wrote, well, he was the showrunner on this Swamp Thing show, which lasted a week. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then he also wrote the original Aliens comics for Dark Horse, which came oh, out yeah. 
before Alien 3. Yep, those were good comics, too. Yeah. yeah I collected that series. Very, very, very good. If if you want what everyone back in the day was saying should have been Alien 3, check out the Aliens comic books. Book 1 in particular. Book 2 is good as well, but book 1. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one, I forget which book it was, there was one where there was a story, I don't think this was Verheiden's per se, where there was a... There was a military guy trying to train the aliens to be his soldiers going into battle. Uh, I don't, I can't recall if that was a Verhyden one because that because that one was also unique among Dark Horse uh, titles because it was in color, and Dark Horse always printed in black and white at first. Yeah, I think that might have been the third one, and I think it might yeah. have been Verhyden. So, yeah. yeah, they're good. They're good for sure. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, until next week. John, where can people find you on the internet? Look for my name on the internet, which is Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. I'm a little more active on Twitter. I'm frequently active on Letterboxd. And you can find me also here on the network, co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with Matthew Rushing. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd and Twitter at Mumbles3K. You can also find me on FilmDamagePod.com doing a show called Film Damage. And you can find me on Trek.fm doing a show called Tracks on the Line. And you can also find me on Snopes.com looking up uh, (laughs) urban legends and finding out that there's absolutely no truth to them. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Pretty good rule of thumb on that. All right. Anyway, I guess that's it for this week. Uh, So until next week, be kind, rewind. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.